So there's a term in the world of development, like app, game, such development, called the diaper product. It sounds gross. It's not necessarily, like maybe it is, you'll see. It's a term actually that's positive. It's, it's, it it um, describes success. So the idea is that if you're a developer, if you're a company, if you're a team of engineers, that you create an app that's so successful, like it's you know, gone viral of sorts, like tons of downloads and users, you call that a diaper product. The idea is that your app is so addictive that users won't even want to get up to go to the bathroom. They'd rather just wear a diaper and stay where they are. So this is kind of a jokey saying amongst companies and developers, and obviously, like I hope, there aren't grown adults who are choosing to soil themselves because they can't pause a video game or stop scrolling like a social media app or something. It's jokey, but I guess I wonder whether it's really like that much of a joke. Because whether or not it started that way, I think in some ways they accomplished what they sought out to do. It worked, in my opinion. So, so people aren't wearing diapers, to my knowledge. I hope you're not. And if you are, don't tell me. I'll lose respect for you. But it's, it's pretty close to what's happening because when people are on the toilet, their, hand, it has their, their phone is in their hand, their eyes are still glued to the screen. I don't know about you ladies, but as a guy, like when I walk into like public bathrooms at the mall or wherever, there's always a guy standing at the urinal doing this. And there's very often, like I'm walking by in the stalls and there's somebody's pants is by their ankles and you just hear like, or like ching, 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 like, like video game sound effects that are just coming through the bathroom stall. I don't know if that happens to the women, it happens to the guys. There's always noise coming from there. When my friends and I are hanging out and someone's like, hold on, I got to go poo, I'll be right back. They don't just get up and go. They look for their phone, <laughs> they pick it up and then they go and then they stay in there way, way too long. If your friend who does that is sitting next to you, just whisper in their ear, your doctor would not recommend that. It's bad for your gastroenterology, or your, gas, your GI system. It happens a lot. The goal from developers was for us to be addicted because that's how they're going to make more money, right, from our eyes and usage. And they sought out to make a diaper product as a joke, and I think they basically did. We very much become addicted to our phones. We have an addiction, like a legitimate addiction. And this addiction, it has plenty of outcomes and a variety of concerns, and it kind of depends on who you ask. If you ask a teacher, hey, how do you feel about like your kids being addicted to their phones? If they oh, it's distracting them in their class, they won't focus. And if you ask a parent, like, oh, I'm worried that my kids aren't, aren't like, you know, doing, going outside and playing. If you ask, you know, it depends who you ask, but as a pastor, and I imagine you care because you came to church today, the one that concerns me the most, the one that I want to focus on the most, is that when we're addicted to our phones, my concern is that the, the, the reality of our lives is that there's a constant and ever-flowing stream of influence that is entering your minds and your souls. It's like this steady stream that's just in the mind, in your heart, and it's ever-flowing. And this is at proportions that are never before seen in human history. Because today, all areas of your life are getting marketed to at all times of the day, and it's in the palm of your hand. And way too many hours of the day, our eyes and ears are fixated on it. Before, in the past, you had to go somewhere, make a, more of a conscious choice. I had to go pick up a newspaper and choose to flip through it or a magazine. I had to be on the highway and see a billboard being like, buy these shoes. Like, I had to do a little bit more effort. But today, there's no effort involved. 
it's easy and it's addicting and it's constant. Follow along with me in, in this quote from uh, um, writer, author, Laura Whiffler. She says this, from elections to finances to policy and lawmaking, from public opinion to public health, Social media affects everything in our society. It informs what products Target carries, what Etsy sellers choose to make, what ingredients are used in medications and cosmetics. When you spend time on social media, it changes how you shop, what you eat, who you vote for, where you give money, how you exercise, how you educate your kids, what books you read, and what you talk about at the dinner table. It affects how you run your business, how you make love to your spouse, and how you worship God. Social media will shape what's important to you, what's worthy of your time, what you believe, and what you love. We've been asleep at the switch. So what do we do about it? Today we're in our second week of our social media series called Unfollow. Started this last week. And today, I want to talk about the influence social media has on us, in particular in shaping how we see the world, and as uh, Laura Whiffler mentioned, what we believe. See, over the years, social media has really changed. It's transformed. It started just about connecting friends. I don't know if, I mean, I know a handful of you are around my age and older. The, you, you were there when Facebook, when first social media, MySpace, all these things first started. It was just, all you could do is put up a picture of yourself and your name and then tag, or write hi on each other's walls. And then when they added the photo option, it was like, oh my God, we can post pictures? And then a little later, I think I was, I don't know, a sophomore in college or something, it became, you could play games. Do y'all remember Tetris when it first came on Facebook and everyone was like trying to beat each other's scores? It was just beating each other's scores and Tetris, posting pictures and saying hi. That was it. Now, as the quote says, you look around your house or your dorm room or your apartment, and how many of the purchases you made were a result of something you saw online? If you invest money, for those of you who are investing in your retirement funds or, 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 or you know, day trading or whatever you do, it's likely that a Redditor, a YouTuber, a TikToker, a something-er told you Hey, this mutual fund is the best one. Put your thousands of dollars, your hard-earned money into it. Or your cryptocurrency uh, portfolio. Like, oh, like you may have got that wisdom, uh, wisdom sometimes, online. The food in your fridge is probably there, not necessarily because you saw it on social media, but because it blew up on social media, and then grocery chains had no choice but to stock something that's going to fly off the shelves. To me, the image that I get in my mind is social media. It started off kind of like a cute town community pool. You would have to go to it. You would have to travel. And it's just like a small gathering just to hang out, to connect. Today, I imagine social media as a tsunami. You don't have to go anywhere. It's coming to you. And it's not just a, an hour of your Saturday to let the kids play in the kiddie pool. It's washing over your home, your school, your workplace, your neighborhood, influencing your everyday choices all the way to the most foundational parts of your belief system. Social media was at one point just for your entertainment, and now it's whole life influence. Social media was just a source of world news. Now it is a source of world view. Social media was just a resource for information. Now I feel like it's like your own personal rabbi. It's like your mentor who you can always look to and who you are always looking to. 
See, why this matters to us as the people of God is that if we don't have boundaries and accountability and fences like we talked about last week, I believe that inevitably we will become far more influenced in the world than by God. We will start to become more like the secular world than like the saints of the past and their legacy. We will agree more with popular culture than we're going to agree with Jesus Christ. We will become more kinspeople with non-believers than with faithful disciples. I'd love for us all to take out your phones. I'm going to do it too. If you have an iPhone, you're godly. Just kidding. Uh, hit settings, and then the ninth button from the top will be screen time. If you have an Android, I don't know exactly what you're looking for, but it, it's daily device usage slash uh, daily, uh, wait, hold on, what's it called? Daily device usage and uh, da- digital well-being is what I'm pretty sure will be on Android. Digital well-being or daily device usage. And screen time is going to tell you what your average is. Some statistics, I think they're old, all I did was Google it, say three to four hours a day for Americans. I find that really hard to believe. And maybe you see your own numbers. I don't think it's three to four hours per day. It's got to be more for some of us. There are plenty of us that are way, way more than that. Okay, don't shame each other. And don't lie either. Put your phone away. (laughs) You can shame each other on the way home or at lunch. All right. Now, with phones away, I want you to calculate just roughly. Don't get into the weeds of how much time you think you spend in the word average weekly. And I don't only mean strictly you sit down and you read the Bible, but like things that would be discipling your spirit. Bible reading, certainly, podcast listening, sermon listening, like this one and a half hour service will count, small group. Just doing the simple math, wouldn't it be possible, could, like can I make this suggestion, wouldn't it be possible that your transformation and growth in life could be more shaped by your phone than God? If the American average is three to four hours per day, And maybe some of us, when we think about our time in Scripture, it's three to four hours per week. Isn't that possible? So today, we're going to do the good stuff. We're going to look at God's Word. We're going to ensure that our minds and our hearts are the tension in the Scriptures. And then, like we did last week, I want to set up the boundaries together. So today's Scripture reading is going to come from two separate passages that I'm going to pair together. And our first Scripture uh, is this from Isaiah 40. Really short. It says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. This first text is obvious in its message. There's permanence. God's word is permanent. Everything else in creation has a shelf life. It will pass. It will be gone. It will disappear. It will go from dust to dust, from material and physical things like the buildings and structures around us, our possessions, like the favorite thing that you love. It's going to be gone one day. Our cars, our homes, our clothing, everything, even big-scale infrastructure like cities will be gone at one point. And not only our possessions, not that only that kind of material things, but our bodies 
They will decompose. You'll be gone. Your physical body will no longer be here. Not only do physical things have a shelf life, non-material things have a shelf life too. Governments, nations in power, ideologies, things that people are the ones that are ruling and reigning will one day only be in a history book and nowhere else to be found on planet Earth. Things to what is popular in culture, to the dominant schools of thought, what's trendy and acceptable, it'll all be gone. Easiest example of this, just to prove my point, that we all know you learned this in middle school, high school, some point, is, is Rome, the Roman Empire. Perfect and simplest example that they had domination about everything, physical and non-physical. Land, territory domination, structures and roads, even popular culture, ideologies, what the norms were, how you had to live to relate to each other, what people were, uh, how people were being educated. Everything, Rome was dominant. And they had a dominance that the world had never seen before. And, there, and no one, no one who was living at that time would have thought that their legacy would just be tourism. That many years later, people will get on a plane and like stand in front of things with their kids and be like with their fanny pack and be taking pictures. Like, you know what used to be here? No one would have said that they would fall and they wouldn't be there. They were power unimaginable, influence that would go on forever, they believed. And now it's just a few rocks that people overpay money to see and museums. That's it. Everything has a shelf life except God's word will last forever. And it's proven that. What else has done what I'm about to say here? God's word has spanned thousands of years, thousands. It's moved across continents and spanned not only, uh, or like the differences in the cultures within, in, in crazy amount of cultures within those continents, but then the changing cultures of, of all those places. God's word has built movements in major cities to underground churches of four people in hiding, to tribes and jungles and remote islands. God's word started, started with people who could read and write ancient Hebrew and Greek. Today, it's translated into 724 different languages. I didn't even know 700 languages existed. Like English, Spanish. Uh. 724 and partial translations of the Bible are over 1,200. God's word is moving in people's lives and changing the world when we walked on our feet with, with like just leather sandals to then when people started riding donkeys and camels and then horses to today where we have electric cars and private jets and cruise ships that are bigger than like towns and cities. God's word meets all types of people. There's executives and skyscrapers in New York City right now that God's word entered into their lives to small sheep farmers in Ireland, to people living in tropical islands in Southeast Asia and every corner of the globe. It just keeps going. It's permanent. And his everlasting word will have this influence that we'll read in our second passage. So God's word is permanent, everlasting, and this is what it's going to do forever. 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness for this purpose, so that, verse 17, the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word is everlasting, it's permanent, and secondly, it is profitable. 
It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Essentially, in other words, it's saying we will never lack what we need to navigate this life with wisdom, with holiness, with grace. No matter how much the world changes, no matter what technology we have and whether it's phones we're battling and addiction to cell phones or maybe what else is it going to be in the future? Maybe we're going to wear glasses and we'll like, you know, blink our social media. It doesn't matter. It's always going to have everything that we need for it to be profitable for the disciple. Scripture guides us. It shows us the truth and the right way to walk in life. Scripture rebukes falsehoods. It tells us when we go wrong and shepherds us back by challenging our errors and our false beliefs. Scripture corrects us and explains us how to get back on the track of living not just the way God wants you to. That's not who he is. But the way that you will have an abundance of joy in your life. Scripture trains us in righteousness. It shows us the pathways for right living in true joy. I think I'm preaching to the choir, right? I hope, I assume, I think safely, that we believe this. That when you look at the Holy Bible, that to you it's, it's guidance, it's correction, it's rebuking, it's training in righteousness, and it's good for you. It's the only source of truth. I think you believe that. But I think what's happening to the culture around us and what's happening to us too, the felt experience is whether willingly or unwillingly, whether consciously or unconsciously, I don't know what it is for you. What I'm seeing is, is that really we're being guided, rebuked, corrected, and trained by the world. Through social media, especially. Not only, but especially. What I'm seeing, what I'm observing is that people's convictions of truth change thoughts on falsehoods, feelings about what a real happy life looks like, what a true, joyful, and loving, and rightful life looks like, has shifted from what the world is telling us instead of what God's word tells us. See, a key word in this text from Paul that we should spend a moment on is profitable. Profitable, he says. Scripture is only profitable because it's from God. Because God's words are true. And if it's truth for us and it's right and good for us, therefore, it equals profitable. If it's human wisdom, it's not profitable for us. And here's the danger line that me and you, all of us, we tow this line and it's, it, it stumbles us here and there. It may be palatable, but that's not the same thing as profitable. Human wisdom is very palatable. It's not always profitable. See, last week I said that social media is such a powerful thing in our lives. We can't ignore it. Like, let's be real. We've seen the statistics. We've seen the science. We've got to bump it up to the level of spiritual discipline, not just a time waster. It's, not, it's no longer like, oh, stop wasting time. No, no, no. It's way beyond that. And you don't have to come to church to learn that. You can go to a, like a completely, like, you can go to atheists and talk to them about that who don't believe in any higher being, and they would agree. It's no longer a time waster. It's more. And this week, I want to remind us that for the same, or for, for a second reason, that I believe the social media, for now at least, and for many years, I assume, is going to be the primary tempter in pulling us 
toward making faith, life, and Jesus palatable to you and to those around you instead of profitable to you and to the world around you. There are a lot of Christians today who are straying in their faith because Jesus isn't always palatable. In fact, a lot of times he's not. That's leading people to give up biblical beliefs, orthodoxy. And the worst part is some and people we love, like faith entirely. I'm done with the church. I'm done with Jesus. A couple years ago in 2021, um, I read this article in The Atlantic that was um, really compelling. It, you know, it kind of grasped me. Usually that magazine is boring. I'm not trying to pretend like I'm some sophisticated, I read The Atlantic. No, no, it, it, usually I'm like, man, I need to, like, where's my Sports Illustrated? But this article in particular made me feel a little bit smarter and I felt cool. And, and I kept going. So basically what this guy was doing was interviewing a bunch of evangelical pastors in America. And it was during the, you know, well, not that it's over, but like all the like hot like election stuff. And he was just trying to get a beat on Christianity in America today. Or, let me Protestant evangelical Christianity in America today and, and politics. So what I'm about to read, the snippet from this article in the Atlantic, it is um, specifically about politics, but you know, we'll see it beyond that. So you can read along with me here. This is just entering in the middle. Scott Dudley, senior pastor at Bellevue Presbyterian Church in Bellevue, Washington. He refers to this as our idolatry of politics. Here's a really compelling part here. He's heard of many congregants leaving their church because it didn't match their politics, he told me. But has never once heard of someone changing their politics because it didn't match their church's teaching. Let's do that again. He's heard of many congregants leaving their church because it didn't match their politics, he told me. But has never once heard of someone changing their politics because it didn't match their church's teaching. He often tells his congregation that if the Bible doesn't challenge your politics, at least occasionally... You're not really paying attention to the Hebrew scriptures of the New Testament. The reality, however, is that a lot of people, especially in this era, will leave a church if the political views are ever challenged, even around the edges. Many people are much more committed to their politics than what the Bible actually says, Dudley said. We have failed not only to teach people the whole of scripture, but we've also failed to help them think biblically. We have failed to teach them that sometimes scripture is most Useful, I'm going to enter profitable when it doesn't say what we want it to say because then it is correcting us. Many people are much more committed to their politics than to what the Bible actually says. See, politics is the theme of the article, but I believe you can replace this word politics with plenty of examples that refer to our belief systems, our morals, and opinions. And what I, like social media is just like the device, right? So I'm not saying it is the thing, but to me it's the megaphone for unbiblical voices that are crafting for us a worldview where we actually become at risk of becoming much more committed to the megaphone like content than to what the Bible actually says. And this is happening absolutely in our politics. It's really, really clear in America, like holy moly. But beyond that. It's happening on how we feel about money and economics, about jobs and education, justice and society, human sexuality and gender. Like, tell me what to stop. On and on and on and on. I don't know Scott Dudley, so don't, like, come at me for this. Like, I have no idea who he is, so I can't vouch for this guy. But I do love his quote here. And so at least he seems like a great guy. He sets an example that to me is beautiful. 
Because what he doesn't do is like, everyone's committed to culture and not the word. Like, whatever. Like, let them leave. Did you catch the end of his statement? No. He points this way. He says, we've failed. He doesn't judge and say, well, good riddance to them and like, they, like wait till what happens to them when they follow the world more than scripture. No, no, no. He points inward. He says, we've failed to help people think biblically. We failed to remind each other that when scripture isn't saying what, it want, what we want it to, when it isn't palatable, that it can actually be so, so good for you because it's correcting us with an eternal and perfect word that is profitable for your soul. There is this tension when our bodies, our minds want something else and God says no, that if, if you and I actually believe that God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins, if he calls you his precious son and daughter, that it's the best for you, even when it feels the opposite, complete opposite. I've had so many conversations with people who sit across from me at a cafe and they're like, how can you believe blank about the Bible? How could that be possibly true when, other, when it's hurting people or it makes me feel this way or, or my brother feels this way or my sister does this or my best friend? Like, are you just okay with that? Like, no, I'm not. I feel that tension too. But if God came and walked around earth and then he suffered the greatest suffering to exemplify his love for you, and his ways are higher than our ways, then I can humble myself to going against this feeling to trust and believe that correction is best for me. If what we celebrate on Good Friday and Easter actually happened, then I can trust against the palatability of Jesus Christ and trust in his profitability for my soul and for yours. I want to ask us to take an introspective look at the way you see the world. If you're a Christian and you believe in God's word being perfect and eternal and profitable, if you believe that, let's ask ourselves, what part of my worldview has shifted that is antagonistic towards that or off from that? What's actually influencing me the most today? Who is influencing me the most today? And for all of us in this room, I can't help but imagine that some of us a lot and some of us at least a little bit, that a lot of that influence is coming through our phones and the voices that come through the speakers on our phones. We need more and more of God's word in our lives. And I believe that one of the most prolific barriers to that is going to be our phone addiction. So what kind of boundaries and accountability can we put in our lives as a church so that YouTube and Reddit and TikTok aren't discipling you? That you're not following your rabbi, iPhone 13, but that it's Jesus Christ, the carpenter who actually was God in the flesh, who died and suffered so that you would be lavish in the riches and treasures of God. I think I can trust in his way if I actually believe that part. What's crafting your worldview? Is it the world <laughs> or is it the creator of the world? Last week, I already gave some pointers for healthy boundaries that I'll share up again on the screen. I encourage us, let's limit our screen time. Use that screen time or daily device usage app thing to help you 
I was like, hey, I, I got to practice what I preach. I can't come up here and be like, everybody put boundaries and not do it myself. So I would like to say successfully that my phone told me today that 32% went down this past week. I hope that happened to you too. I told us that we can fast from social media regularly and have Sabbath days regularly. We can delete apps and unfollow accounts that are, that are harming your soul or, or influencing you against the scripture or the will of God. Last week we talked about loving one another, how it affects that. And if you haven't started anything, if you were here last week and maybe you, you went to CG and like you're thinking about it but you haven't started anything, I want to encourage you to try to start something today. So I was sharing with a group of friends yesterday at dinner that I'm the type that would fall asleep with my phone, and I've definitely, like, smashed my nose in with my phone. Like, you know when you're doing, like, the this, and then just, like, you know, bloody nose from sleeping with iPhone? Um, that happened to me all the time. And so I'm definitely the, the type that would fall, like, you know, you get into bed, hey, I'm going to go sleep, and then it's, like, like, 70 minutes later, and you're still awake on your phone. That was me. And so last Sunday, I decided to cut that out. I have an alarm on my phone now that says no more screen time that pops up in the evening. It just doesn't mean my phone, but like computer, laptop, like TV, like anything. So that I can end my day with more productive things that are good for my soul. Whether it's just sleeping earlier, which is good for our souls, or ending with prayer and meditation. I finally picked up books that were collecting dust that my phone was keeping me from that's been good for me. That's just one simple example. What boundaries can we put up in our lives? And here's the other side of our application. That was a little repeat from last week, but this week we have something else. We need more scripture in our lives. And the good thing is that social media actually and your phone can actually be excellent at that. Coincidentally, right? Social media can give you huge chunks of scripture. Social media can also give you scripture in the form of new songs from super gifted musicians. Social media can give you short doses of scripture in quick seconds of an Instagram story of a YouTube short. Scripture in the form of sermon clips from really like charismatic and gifted speakers. Scripture in devotional material from authors who are really uh, knowledgeable in the faith. Scripture in teaching from tweets from really gifted and honorable leaders. Social media can actually be super, super helpful. It can give us, it, it does influence us like never before, but it doesn't have to only be things that are unhealthy. It's also useful to immerse yourself with this eternal and profitable word of God. So my second application point for today is to scripturize, quote unquote, your feed. Be obnoxious. Annoy yourself. Follow so many Bible accounts that you're like, I don't want Bible. You have to like get tired, like scrolling past them. Do whatever it takes to immerse yourself in the word, coming out in the thing that you're addic- you may or may not be addicted to. We have a treasure in front of us that is most profitable for our souls, our joy, your happiness, your well-being, and it's at our fingertips too, like never before. Take advantage of that. If we're going to be glued to our screens anyway, might as well be mean that we're glued to God speaking into your life, being your shepherd who wants the best for you guiding you to streams of living water. So I'd like to close now, just, not just for today's message, but for the, ser- for the short two-week series as a whole, and share a, a funny story that I think is funny. It may make some of you go red. But So first off, when I was in school, 
in higher education, I was a library guy. There's like the library people and the dorm people, right? Like, oh, I could never study in the library. I got to be in my dorm. Like, oh my gosh, how do you study in your dorm? I'm in the library. I'm a library, the library one. If I don't know if others of you are with me. Um, I, I like the, the ambiance of others being like so studious and like it rubs off on me and the pure quiet of a library where dorms can be noisy. So I was in the library all the time and I got to, and I always um, sat on the same floor and I got used to the people that were always there. And so there was like the always orders Domino's guy, you know, like there's always the same people. There's a guy who sits in the same exact chair and his red hoodie, like probably wasn't washed guy. And then there were three guys, three of them. The always talks, too loud guys. And what I mean by that is they would always, someone would whisper, hey, hey, can I borrow that book when you're done? Sure, yeah, I'll give it, just come back over. Like, you know that guy at the library? Like, they're the worst. And one of those three was actually a friend of mine. He was the, ah, like, you, you don't talk to him in the library because it's going to be embarrassing. And so I, I, I made the mistake, and this is what I'll share here with you. So one day I'm passing by him, friend, one of the three, talks too loud in the library guy. And I'm walking by, and he had a dumb phone next to him. So this is my grave error. I picked it up. I was like, dude, where did you get this? What the heck is this? And he goes, oh, I traded in my iPhone because I was too tempted to look at porn all the time. I'm like, oh, my God, dude, like, can you keep it down? And at this, like, high level of volume, he goes on to explain how he's like making real changes in his life, the benefit for the relationship with this God, and he was dating, and he wants to like propose to this girl, and it's getting in the way. It's not good for him. He doesn't trust himself. He asked friends to keep him accountable, but he decided he's going to take action into his own hands, and he's shouting this at the top of the lungs that everyone's looking at us, and I'm like, dev- uh, not devastated, I'm like mortified. At a very quiet library. This isn't the first floor where people are like shuffling in. It's like dead silent. So minus the initial dread of my embarrassment and the volume. And I was like, oh, why did I talk to you? Actually, I love the fact that I talked to him. Here's a guy who was not going to let his, I need a smartphone though, get in the way of the wellness of his soul. I'm sure he had the thought process of, oh, but, like, I need GPS, like, Venmo, group text. Like, you know, use your smartphone for good things, too, like work and school. I'm sure he had to think about it because it's not all bad. But ultimately, it didn't matter. He made a decisive decision that any benefit from his iPhone was not worth stumbling him in this particular area of his life and his faith, especially when the trade-off was treasure. Here's the thing. When we think trade-off, including me, we're thinking about the phone trade-off. You traded a $1,000 iPhone for a $50 dumb phone? I could never do that. We're focused on the material exchange of goods, and therefore, why would anybody ever be that dumb? Okay, that works for you, but God, that, that's not, like, I'm not about that. The trade wasn't about the phone. It was about his relationship with God. It was about his relationship with his future fiance, and now she is his wife. It was about his relationship with and his view on human sexuality, on women especially, about daughters in Christ. It wasn't a trade of the phone. It was a trade of stumbling and a trade of a 
abundant life the way God created us to live. That has no dollar value. It's treasure. I end with this story not to suggest that all of us should go out and sell our iPhones and make a spike in the dumb phone market. It's okay to keep your smartphone. I'm going to keep mine. If you want to make fun of me, ask my wife about the story when I went to Verizon. I told her I was going to come home with a dumb phone. Guess what I came home with? A new iPhone. (laughs) Greatest shame. Don't look at me. It's a true story. But I can explain. I can explain. As we close this series, I'm not suggesting that. I mean, if you feel moved to do that, like, God bless you. Go and do that. Tell me about it so we can celebrate together, so you can sharpen me. As we close this series, what I'm asking all of us is to take serious action. I'm not saying dramatic action, over-the-top action, story material action. I'm just saying serious action. Action that takes your well-being seriously. To not let something as insignificant and small as like the, the, the habits that social media has addicted to, to make you sacrifice something that we could never live without, that we would be able to taste the greatest joy of our relationship with the Lord being bettered and bettered and bettered and moving aside the distractions that get in the way, to be serious about that, to never let something so small and insignificant sacrifice the well-being of your soul when you can gain the greatest joy that this world has ever known. So take this seriously, church. I said last week, I could talk about, we could have done a 12-week, 52-week series on this. There's so much more. It's just two. But I hope that it's enough for us to take seriously putting up boundaries, getting getting accountability, even using social media, but harnessing it for good instead of just deleting it entirely for the word of God in our lives. And so in summary from last week and today, let's make it our mission in life to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Let's let the eternal and profitable word of God dwell richly in your heart. Let's pray together. Lord, I believe that whether it be our flesh, like our, our, our sinfulness, our, um, you know, our temptations and all that stuff, or it even be the enemy working against us, whatever one or whichever combination, I believe that they always make us focus on the trade-off in the wrong way. Oh, but I'm going to lose, like, seeing updates from my friends. Or, oh, but I'm, I'm going to miss out on what's happening in my in, in community. Oh, like, what if I, I, I don't have a, a fast enough phone for school or work? It makes us focus on the trade-off. That's not really the issue. So I pray that your spirit would silence, combat, and crush those things and show us that it's a no-brainer to live life joyfully and abundantly. And that comes from us removing anything that gets in the way from you. Jesus, we believe that you took on flesh, that you came down to earth, that you sacrificed your life for the good of sinners who nailed you to the cross, who spat on you, slapped you in the face, flogged and whipped you, shamed you, 
and crucified you. We believe that. That's why we're here. If you love us that much, certainly we can believe that you love us when it comes to daily wisdom things like our time spent to devices and then even, yes, a much bigger leap, an emotional one, to world ideologies that are swirling around us, to how we think about hot topic issues or, or about the way that we relate to you or the way that we relate to one another or the way that society is changing, all those things. We can trust you in that because you've displayed to us proof that you are out for our good. So we believe that your word is the only eternal thing in this lifetime and that it is so perfectly profitable for our well-being. And so would you help and surround and, 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 and um, inject like energy and strength into this congregation for us to do our part so that it would be your voice coming into our souls in that steady, ever-flowing stream and not this cacophony of voices coming from who knows where that the algorithm chooses to show, but that we hear your voice through all of the mess. God, I think about when we're in uh, 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 public with, with a family member or a friend and we know their voice exactly and it cuts through the mall food court. I pray, Heavenly Father, that your voice would be like that for all of our lives. That no matter how much influence is the is coming at us and demanding our time, our money, our energy, our choices, that your voice would cut through it all so purely and gently, so lovingly and, and, and tenderly. And we would want more and more of you in our lives and take serious action in order for that to be the case. So enliven our souls, strengthen our will and resolve and entice us, God, with joy, with love. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.